0: Welcome to the Low-Tech Lecture Series. The following is an unedited lecture of a topic tangential to the Low Technology Institute. The ideas expressed are those of the speaker. We hope you find it informative and entertaining. As it is unedited, audio quality varies. Stay tuned after the lecture for information about the Low Technology Institute and its other offerings, or find us at lowtechinstitute.wordpress.com. Thanks, and enjoy. Hi everybody, there we go. Yay! I don't have to uh, project this morning. That'll be nice to save my voice. Hi, I'm Scott. I have a couple announcements for you. Thank you for flying uh, Garden Expo Air. Welcome and thank you for attending this seminar. In an emergency, please exit quickly and calmly through the rear entrance um, and go outside immediately. Uh, new, new. This is not part of the same emergency. Turn off all electronic devices. This is a different thing. All right. um, And if you didn't pick up an evaluation, please raise your hand and um, my other uh, flight attendant here will uh, bring you one. Uh, Thank you and enjoy the seminar. Um, And then a couple of notes for me. Uh, Small group, so please feel free to like raise your hand or ask a question randomly. Um, That's totally fine. If I'm talking too fast or too slow or spending too much time on a topic or not enough time on a topic, please feel free to say, hey, could you say more about that or not? And if I can, I will. Um, So thanks for coming. Today we're going to talk about uh, combating carbon emissions uh, with gardening, because why not? And uh, my name's Scott. I run the Low Technology Institute. We're a small 501 research organization. Uh, Our tagline is housing, clothing, and feeding ourselves in a post-fossil fuel world. So we think a lot about what's going to happen when fossil fuels are either no longer available or no longer used, and uh, feeding ourselves is a big one. And we should probably think about figuring that out now while we still have a fairly uh, comfortable way of life with all these fossil fuels around then later, not to diminish folks who are food insecure now, because that certainly is still an issue. But that's a distribution issue, not a production issue. After fossil fuels, production of food is going to be an issue. But that's a completely different topic. But one way we can kind of trace how uh, energy-intensive foods are is by looking at their carbon footprint. And that's kind of what we're going to be doing today. Um, Hopefully, by the end of this, you'll have an idea of just a a ballpark way to evaluate how carbon-intense a a certain food, especially vegetables and fruits, are. And then maybe shy away from those uh, that would be very carbon intensive and prefer those that that, that uh, are less carbon intensive and preferably growing the carbon intensive ones yourself completely eliminates that carbon load. So we'll, we'll, we'll get to it, but that's kind of the idea today. Um, and a lot of what uh, I'm going to talk about today is based on a book or extracted somewhat from a book called How Bad Are Bananas? The Carbon Footprint of Everything, right? Um, And this is written by a British author. um, And it's uh, it's well written. It's kind of uh, entertaining to read. Um, And he goes through all kinds of different examples of things we do every day and how much carbon emissions uh, they're responsible for. Um, Today, I'm going to talk a lot. I'm just going to say carbon dioxide equivalents. And that's kind of shorthand for greenhouse gas emissions. It's um, the equivalent amount of carbon dioxide that uh, different greenhouse gases produce. So for example, methane, uh, one unit of methane is 25 times more deleterious to our situation than one unit of carbon dioxide, right? So one unit of methane is 25 units of carbon dioxide. So carbon dioxide equivalence is just a way of um, saying in. Uh, Like when you look at an economy, uh, an economic scale, it says in 2020 dollars, right? I'm just making everything even. So, and uh, so we have all kinds of different carbon emissions that we'll kind of be touching on, but again, I'm just going to be saying uh, carbon emission equivalents. I'll just say car. I'll just say carbon emissions for for short. Okay. Um, and next one. And you know there's all kinds of different ways that we can reduce our carbon uh, impact, and some of them are diet related right so let's see um, so eating a, eating a plant-based diet, we'll talk about why this is, and I'm not going to be, I'm not pushing or pulling uh, to or from vegetarianism, uh, but we'll just talk about the carbon impact of of meat, uh, because that's also based on plants. So we'll talk about that a little bit, but this, since this is a gardening expo, we're going to talk mostly about gardening and what sorts of plants we can grow. Uh, but these are just some, this is one way to think about it, like uh, the higher up the scale you are, the more carbon And we just had a kid, so I just blew all this out of the water. We had a, we have a 11. Oh, he's about to be 11 months old at home. So, and this is, this is kind of a conceit. Having the baby doesn't do this. It's the lifetime of that person who adds up all these things over time, right? So, uh, actually, in the the book, the um, how bad are bananas, he talks about like being alive, and he actually has a whole section on like. Don't be depressed about what I'm saying, and like, you know, dying is a net carbon gain for the planet. So don't. But he's not dem- he's not advocating that. He's not advocating that. He's not advocating that. And he says that because it can be kind of depressing to think about all the things we're doing that every day without thinking that just you know put a whole bunch of carbon in the atmosphere. Uh, and he says, don't be depressed, even though, even though, uh, yeah. So, but he said, you know, yeah. So it's, it's a funny book. It's 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 worth it's worth a read. Uh, anyway. So um, we can think about, so I, another, we often talk mostly about carbon emissions with transportation, fossil fuel use for that. And I have a friend in St. Louis when I used to live there, and we have a Honda Fit, gets like 36 miles per gallon or so. And our friend's got a a Volt, which was 100% electric, but carbon, uh, but uh, electricity in Missouri is 80% coal. So I actually sat... This is not my chart, but I sat down. We were having a, a debate about it. And then the next day I sat down and worked out the carbon emissions. So like, you know, a conventional vehicle um, with petrol... So we have a pretty efficient one that might be a little less than that. But the uh, electric battery with coal, <laughs> you know, would not be... We are 80% coal, so it would have been actually more carbon intensive uh, for the electric vehicle uh, powered by coal. So, you know, it's, it's not as easy as just saying... Um, What's the carbon uh, emissions of a, of a particular thing? You have to look at the whole picture. Um, you know, Here we're looking at the, uh, the embodied energy to t- create the vehicle. We're basically trying to avoid looking at a carbon tow print of your footprint. right? So if you think, well, I'm driving to the grocery store to buy my food in an electric vehicle, therefore my carbon emissions to get this food are very low. But if you're buying asparagus right now, your carbon emissions are very high. Even if you're getting it with, the, so you avoid looking at the tow print. It's really, you have to look at the whole picture, the whole production line, which can be very difficult, right? So in the book, he goes into a lot of detail saying like, well, how much percent of the carbon emissions of the creation and use of a tractor is one spear of, of uh, or one carat? Well, it's like one millionth percent of, you know, of the in total emissions. So how do you count that, right? So so it can get a little fuzzy around the edges, but this is, it, you can come up with, Fairly reliable uh, comparisons, and these are more proportional than necessarily hard and fast numbers. Um, total carbon. Let's see if it's going to. it doesn't beep at me. Okay. So um, this is world greenhouse gas emissions. Um, so actually, we're talking about a fairly small amount down here. So I don't mean to belittle the <laughs> point of the talk about reducing carbon emissions by gardening. There's a lot of other stuff we can do up here, right? Um, But agriculture accounts for 13.5%. And we'll zoom in here uh, and move over. It's a little pixelated. But, um, you know, soils release carbon. Um, So actually the energy use for tractors is actually pretty small. Most of it is uh, releasing carbon from the soil by uh, plowing. Uh, And then livestock and manure, right, of course, because of the methane, Um, it has a really high percentage because that methane is so potent. Um, and this is this is a lot of times when you see why taking a uh, doing a plant-based diet is good for the environment. They say because of the methane produced uh, when um, plant, uh, cows and pigs and other animals are grown in in capos and tight. Um, there's a lot more emissions. Uh, rice cultivation, surprisingly, 0. 0.15 or 1.5 percent. Um, because uh, it's a wetland uh, type environment that they put a lot of fertilizer into, it, re- it produces a lot of methane. So rice is actually uh, fairly carbon intensive. Um, and as you can see, uh, nitrous oxide and methane are the coming out of coming out of here. Right. So it's a it's a lot of nitrous oxide, not carbon, because plants generally suck in carbon. Right? So, um, overall, carbon emissions from a diet. Um, This is is average overall, um, the overall consumption of food. Um, So meat accounts for a lot of it. And the reason is, uh, many of you probably know a lot of this stuff already, so I'm sorry if this is completely repetitive, but um, to make a calorie of meat, you need seven calories of plants. So if the average American is eating 500 uh, meat calories a day, that's really 3,500 plant calories that went into that 500 calories. And on top of the other 1,500 calories, the 2,000 calorie diet person is eating. Uh, so that quick math is for 5,000 plant calories that you're consuming when you're consuming 500. And I'm not, again, um, I'm not advocating for or against vegetarianism. I'm just, be an informed consumer, right? So, um, and so we are primarily going to be talking about fruits and vegetables uh, today, so these are actually small, pli- uh, small slices of the pie in general, but we can still have an impact with our small things, and I think homegrown food fruit, fruits and vegetables just taste so much better, and I'll get into why that is uh, as we go along. So um, I made a nifty chart here, and we'll talk about the different amount of carbon emissions embedded in different amounts of things, just so we can have a comparison, because before Learning about this, I didn't realize how how to even uh, visualize or think about this. Um, So, for example, if we want to get down to real small things, so sending a text message is like four four grams of carbon emissions. So, okay, a glass of water, depending on where you get it, well or municipal, yeah, under 10 grams. Sending an email—that's what that computer symbolizes—is still under 10 grams because of all the electricity involved and all that. Boiling a kettle, a little more. Paper bag, a little more. Watching TV, uh, a half hour, watching one TV show uh, is equivalent to a brown paper bag's worth of of, uh, emissions. And ironing a shirt, just above that. So now we'll get into our first uh, fruit. So an apple. So I'll explain this chart a little bit. There's different levels here. Um, So if you grow it yourself, we're basically saying that's almost nothing. If you're I mean there's a, a little bit for like planting the apple tree or um, you know if you're saving your own seeds and replanting them that year they're going to be pretty low depends on your fertilizer input what you're buying but if you're just able to grow it in your backyard and com- your own compost and you can get pretty darn close to zero or maybe even negative because of the, the carbon um, absorption of the plants but um, we'll have a, a range of numbers here so the first number for an apple is, 10 grams. You can get a 10 gram uh, of carbon emission apple by buying a local apple. Um, There's orchards, obviously, in Wisconsin. If and if you can get it uh, locally at a farmer's market or direct from the grower, it's pretty. It's an extremely green product, even if it's red. At the store, you buy a kilo of apple or an apple. At the store, it's about 80 grams of carbon. And then about 150 grams if it's uh, shipped and kept cool from, you know, another, like the New Zealand apples might be a bit more, 150 grams. of of carbon emissions. But the main thing, and this is kind of uh, the themes I'm going to touch on is how you can evaluate um, uh, plants on your own, is it doesn't need packaging. It doesn't need really refrigeration. um, And that means it can be shipped slowly. And the slower you can ship something, the more shelf-stable it is, the less carbon emissions. The faster you ship it and the less shelf-stable. Um, the the worse it is. So a banana, um, if you can grow it in your own garden here, please come talk, talk to me uh, and tell me how you're doing that. So most of our bananas here are about 80, um, 80 uh, grams of carbon emissions um, because they can come on boats. And they pick them green, right? Most of us probably know this. Um, there's the one type of the Cavendish um, banana that they pick. Uh, green in bunches down in... Um, Honduras, El Salvador, um, and then it gets put on a boat and shipped up here, and it can get on a boat. So it's very slow and it ripens on the way, and then it gets here, uh, still unripe for some reason, and then uh, onto the shelves. Uh, but it's pretty low because of that slow shipment. Um, I'll tell, I, I used to be an archaeologist and I used to work in Mexico and uh, the Maya area, and um, I basically stopped buying bananas because. Just like everything else in your garden, if you pick it green, it doesn't taste. It hasn't developed all those sugars, and so when they ship them up here, they they taste like a a shadow of themselves as where you know when you can get them fresh uh, closer to where you go. Um, Although I will say, my we have uh, broken that rule at home because um, my my son loves bananas and he loves to feed himself now. So we what we do is we go to the grocery store and we buy the bananas that are about to go off. Um, because that's another way you can reduce the carbon um, emissions of a fruit. Even if it's a higher carbon emitting um, fruit or vegetable, if you buy it at the end when they're maybe throwing it out and then just completely wasting all that carbon, you're saving quite a bit. So that's a good strategy. An orange. Um, About 90 grams um, by boat, and then another 500 by uh, if it's shipped 2,000 miles by truck or by boat, and then 500 by truck, it was it was about 90 grams. But they can be worse, about a thousand grams. Uh, I used to live in northern Alberta. And in the winter, you couldn't ship ban- um, bananas or tomatoes or anything in trucks as easily because they had to be heated because the back of the truck would freeze when it was 40 below zero. So um, oranges would have to be um, air freighted or um, or shipped by uh, a truck with heating. Um, and then you could, then they could be a, a, that's a thousand grams on the top. I thought I had, I'm sorry, I thought I had numbers here on the side. I think I do on the next ones. Um, So over 100 grams, just for comparisons, a cup of tea if you have milk in it, Um, the milk is the big thing, the tea leaves are almost nothing, a bus trip because that's carbon shared among many people, Um, a disposable diaper, uh, or actually uh, reusable diapers are actually, can be, uh, depending on how you do them, fairly carbon intensive, Um, or not depending on how you wash them. We don't have to get into that, that's not what this is about. Uh, A train ride is a bit more, getting closer to a a kilo of carbon emissions. Uh, And then a a dishwasher, running the dishwasher. And then a mile by car. Um, So these are all just in descending or ascending order, depending on how you're looking. Just to give you an idea of where we're going. Now compare that to strawberries and carrots. So you grow carrots in your own backyard or excuse me, strawberries in your own backyard, that's going to be pretty much, it's going to be much lower than this, right? So that's kind of one of the reasons I'm talking about it. Um, but it's about 150 grams if they're regionally grown. So if you buy in-season, you know, uh, Wisconsin-grown strawberries, it's only about 150 grams. That's not really that bad. But if you're buying them now from Mexico or wherever they come from, uh, they're going to be 1.8 kilos. So it, 10 times the carbon emissions to buy them now out of season. Uh, that's going to be another kind of thing I'll harp on is seasonality. Um, and in my opinion, <laughs> my, my mother-in-law always bites them, and I bite them, and it tastes like nothing, right? Versus the ones in my garden. I'm sure you, if you have strawberries, you know that they taste so much better in because the, they are picked sweeter. The ones that are um, transported have to be selected to be a bit uh, sturdier, so that's why their texture is a bit tougher. Ugh. Anyway, also a lot of carbon emissions. So you're eating something that has a lot of carbon emissions that doesn't taste very good. What's... Ugh. Um, <coughs> carrots, uh, not bad. Uh, very good in your garden, of course. About 250 grams if you buy them from the farmer's market. Um, if you buy them in the grocery store, it's actually not too bad. 300 grams. So it's not much worse in the grocery store to buy carrots um, in terms of carbon emissions. I'm not talking about you know organically grown or all those sorts of things. Um, baby carrots, though, are a kilogram of uh, a kilo of carbon emissions. So almost three times more than the equivalent bunch of adult, adult carrots, baby carrots, right? <laughs> um, that's because baby carrots, of course, are, you know, skinned and refri- they have to be kept refrigerated because of the outsides off and all these different things. Um, so the, the the chain of refrigeration is much more, the process is a lot more, and the waste of some carrot material is more. So baby carrots are three times worse carbon-wise. So, uh, you know, get your carrots, bring them home, peel them, chop them into, into sticks, and it's the same thing. All right, a bath. But you, know, you could also just avoid one bath, and then you buy your baby carrots. Uh, uh, well, so, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. So laundry. Uh, laundry is just under the amount of energy it takes to make a, or emissions it takes to make a pair of pants. So, you know, you want to talk about organic cotton, and I'm all for organic cotton because it's much better for the people growing and processing and all of these things, of course, but the actual energy, I'm just talking carbon emissions of a pair of pants, is actually not that much because every time you wash those, the real carbon emissions of a pair of pants is washing them, so just don't wash your pants.
1: <laughs>
0: Easy, right? Um, and then a, a gallon of gas. So... Uh, Every time, every gallon of gas you uh, you consume, you're, it's just over the amount of carbon uh, that you would emit by buying a pair of pants. So it's, it's pretty carbon intensive. All right, so let's look at some more staples here. Um, a few of these I realize you cannot efficiently grow in your garden like rice and wheat, um, but potatoes you can. And next year I'm gonna propose a whole talk Called why? How potatoes are going to save humanity? Because um, no joke, uh, the processing, the uh, harvest, the planting on a home scale is so much easier than wheat. Because <laughs> you don't have to. You don't have to. Processing wheat is hugely uh, energy intensive and all that sort of stuff. Potatoes are easy and you can get a lot more calories for a lot less work. But that's a different topic. Sorry, I'm not good. I love potatoes. I will talk forever on potatoes. So don't, don't ask me questions on potatoes or we'll be here until tomorrow. Um, but yeah, potatoes are pretty good because, again, um, about 370 grams per kilo of potatoes. Um, they store well. You can ship them slowly. Um, They're non refrigerated, right? They keep well. Again, uh, pretty low carbon. Um, asparagus can be not bad. A kilo of asparagus, uh, i sorry, a half, this is for a half pound of, so that's a kilo of potatoes and a half pound of asparagus. If you buy it local in season here in Wisconsin, it's not bad. Uh, 125 grams. It's really not bad for a half pound. But if you buy it right now, it's almost, it's about two ki- kilos. Of carbon emissions, and that's a logarithmatic scale, so uh, you know, so it's it's quite a lot uh, because you have to purchase it in Peru and fly it here. And I've been on my mother-in-law to stop buying asparagus out of season. Um, I have a fun, I'll, I'll mention my seasonal anecdote here in a bit. Uh, wheat um, is actually a little better than rice, and um, that's because of the way rice is grown in a methane-producing uh, pond. Essentially, uh, there's a, a large methane production uh, when you grow rice, so that's why rice is a bit more carbon intensive. Uh, oh, sorry, meant to do that uh, than wheat. Um, you know, and again, this is logarithmatic, so that's just over one, and that's getting closer to ten. Um, but not that we're growing that in our backyard, but just to kind of inform your uh, buying habits. Um, and then we have tomatoes. Tomatoes can vary widely. You grow them in your own garden from your own safe seeds using stuff, you know, reusing your things or almost, you know, almost nothing or maybe even negative if you're doing it really well. Um, But 400 grams if you buy them organic in season from the farmer's market. So that's not bad, 400 grams. Uh, 9.1 kilograms, though. So 400 grams right in the summer to 9.1 kilograms on average in the grocery store uh, over the year. Um, And then right now... If you bought uh, 50 kilos, or if you bought one kilo of of, um, of tomatoes, it would be 50 kilograms, 50 kilograms of CO2 emissions uh, if they were grown anywhere that needs a heated house to do it. So if you're buying them, I know like I used to live in Canada and we would get like Ontario grown tomatoes in the winter. That's like 50 kilograms of, of CO2 emissions. Uh, which is insane because the same amount would be 40 grams in the summer. Um, and there's a reason, and I'm sure most of you know about like the picking them green and the ethylene. Yeah, I've seen some nods, but I've seen some shake. So, tomatoes when you buy them in the grocery store, there's a reason that they taste like kind of like green tomatoes. They are green tomatoes. They pick them wherever they're grown uh, when they're green because they transport green, they're not bruised. And then right before it goes into the supermarket, they flood the um, the truck or the the container that they're in with ethylene gas, which is completely normal and completely, it's what bananas give off. You know, when you want to make something ripe, you put it in a bag with a banana, because a banana gives off ethylene gas. It's something plants do so that all the fruit comes ripe at once. Um, You know, it's like when one banana gets ripe, it gives off that ethylene and it tells its neighbors, I'm getting ripe, you get ripe too, right? So it's a completely natural process. They're just sipping it up. So right before it hits the shelf, it gets red, but it's essentially a green tomato. That's why they taste like green tomatoes. They are green tomatoes. And uh, you're emitting a lot of carbon to eat them in the winter uh, if they're hothouse grown or transported from far away. It's not, not quite as bad, but still. Um, and specialty varieties are even worse uh, because their yield is a lot lower. Um, and, yeah, the, the yield is a lot lower. They take a lot more inputs. Uh, so, yeah, if you can avoid specialty tomatoes in the winter, hothouse grown, that's, uh, that's a big one. Okay, so I've kind of hit on a couple of themes here. I'm going to summarize them. So I'm an archaeologist, and if you look in archaeology, in the history of of the world, of transportation and trade, um, before fossil fuels existed, people transported only things that were shelf-stable and not fragile and valuable, because you had to carry it on your back or put it on your mule or put it on a boat. Right today we can we can get lettuce from California right now and that's fragile not shelf stable you know all these different things so we basically you want to think um, anciently about transportation so avoid fragile things um, avoid things that are from pretty far away and avoid things that are off season though if you do those four things that will be the biggest cut of your uh, carbon footprint. Uh, in general, those four basic rules would encapsulate basically everything we've talked about. So, uh, fresh, fragile, transported, and out of season. Those things are the biggest carbon emitters. So it's the opposite of those, obviously. Um, and you know, I think a good argument can be made for eating seasonally. in, I think the best anecdote that I have about that is I, I was an exchange student in Germany, and uh, my host mom picked up a mandarin orange one day. And I lived in what used to be East Germany, and she's like peeling the orange after the wall came down. I'm not, how old am I, right? Uh, <laughs> the orange, she's peeling this orange. It was, I don't know, the spring or sometime. She's eating it. And she's like, you know, these oranges just don't taste taste as good as they used to, damas, like before the wall came down. And I'm like, why would the oranges taste better in the East German, you know, East Germany? And she's like, well, we only got them once a year. We got him in Cuba. We got him from Cuba. It was like a a thing. Cuba would send us a boatload, literally a boatload of mandarin oranges for Christmas because, you know... Eastern Bloc, you know, Solidarity, whatever, they sent them a, a thing of oranges for Christmas. And she said, everyone got, you know, every family or so got a bag of oranges, and they ate them, and they looked forward to them every year, and they were like the best-tasting oranges, and obviously that's not seasonal eating. Uh, <laughs> so that's a, maybe a bad example. But the idea of some sort of scarcity or some sort of cyclical nature to the year can make you look forward to foods, whereas if you can get them anytime it's less special. Did you have a so,
1: yes, yeah, I have a question about this. Yeah. Your four part, like your four things to do. Mm-hmm. I'm waiting for the part where like plant based is better. So I'm wa- you probably will get to it. But mm-hmm. like eating seasonally, say I could I think it's sort of possible in Wisconsin if mm-hmm. I like I have a CSA that provides me with meat for year round, yeah. which you can do and the mm-hmm. I grow the potatoes in my kitchen. I'm eating a nut. I'm eating. I sure. eggs, milk. Uh, well, yeah, let's include them, milk, because yeah. cows are also producing it. Sure. How do I balance that against a plant-based diet? And they say, oh yeah, and I love the asparagus and the berries. Exactly. You it, so yeah. How do you balance
0: so there was recently a big. Curf- recently. You the oh, of course. I'm so sorry. Yep, that's on my instructions, and I missed them. Thank you. The, the question was. Um, Essentially, can I boil it down to: uh, Is it possible to eat a plant-based diet that's more carbon-intensive than eating meat sustainably?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and I think there are ways that you can integrate meat into your diet in a low-carbon way, uh, for sure. And there was recently, uh, somewhat recently, an article that came out with a kind of a clickbait headline that uh, bacon was more uh, bacon was more carbon-friendly than lettuce, <laughs> which was kind of a Conceit because it was calorie for calorie. So how many calories of lettuce would you have to eat to equal the same calories as, you know, one, one piece of bacon, right? So, uh, and they were talking about like hothouse grown lettuce in the winter versus, you know, like officially grown pig or whatever. Anyway, so it was a little unfair. But there are ways to do it. And yeah, if I were living on asparagus right now, I'd be way worse than, you know, somebody who ate a lot of meat. Uh, in terms of my emissions. Not worse morally, I'm not here to moralize anything, but yeah, there are ways to do it. Like, So my family, um, we eat meat that that I've butchered myself and killed. So we have chickens and we eat venison. And a deer is pretty low-carbon meat, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's basically the transport of me getting to and there, and that's it, right? Um, And then the refrigeration. So that's another thing with meat is if you refrigerate it, that's a a building cost over the life of that it's in the refrigerator. So the less time it's refrigerated, the faster you eat it, rather than keeping it in the freezer for a year or canning it, maybe. Yeah? Well, that was my
1: question, is if you grow something in season and you're Mm -hmm. all like, tomatoes and freeze them, you're running the freezer anyway.
0: You're running the freezer anyway, but but you're running the freezer. If you weren't freezing it, you wouldn't have to, you know, like uh, I have. So I live out in the country and have a lot of friends who do that, and they have like four big chest freezers, you know. And then at that point, you're really starting to rack up the uh, the uh, the, uh, the carbon emissions. But canning is a one-time carbon cost. So if you can can or dehydrate, also a one-time carbon cost, especially if you can do some sort of solar-based. Uh, dehydrating rather than electrical-based dehydrating, because those are pretty intensive, too. So yeah, it's really just thinking about the, it's thinking systematically. I can't tell you everything, you know, each example, but hopefully I can give you a a couple of ideas of how to think about it in a systematic way, not just what does it take to grow it. You know, it's the transport, it's the preservation, it's the ongoing costs. So it's thinking about it that way, yeah?
1: Yeah, you have four things to avoid and one is fresh, and I'm struggling with that a little bit because you know, during the summer,
0: getting well, a CSA that's fresh. I'm talking, so if you're, yeah, I'm, I'm, this is more like, if you're shopping at the grocery store, okay. these are things to potentially avoid. But if you're at the farmer's market, yeah, then yeah, that's, uh, growing it yourself is going to be the least carbon intensive option. Um, actually, here, why don't we go to the next slide? Thank you for the great segue. Um, so there's. this is a Swiss study, so it may not be exactly, but, you know, Wisconsin's kind of, not too dissimilar climatically from the Swiss and having to get some things transported in the other. Um, And I've got a, if anyone's interested, I can um, post this on our website so you can get the citations for all this stuff. Um, But basically here we're looking at for one kilo of each one of these things, what is the total greenhouse gas emissions? So yeah, here we we have asparagus. And there's a big bar, right? Because it can be okay, but it can also be really bad. And then there's the average, right? So uh, these are relative things and they're recommending. So avocado, this might be different for us because Mexico can ship avocados a lot easier than they can to uh, Switzerland. I don't know where they grow avocados for Switzerland. So this might be a slight, uh, a little bit, but it's such a good study and it had some of the best data I was able to find. Um, So from this, I kind of came up with a scenario. So these are the, the top things to avoid in the supermarket out of season, so basically right now. If you can avoid these things in the, and uh, mushrooms are the same all year round, so that might not be seasonal, oops, sorry, oops, Uh, that might not be seasonal, Uh, but still, that's about where it ranks in the other things, because mushrooms are a pretty fun uh, one to think about. So, but locally in season, you can see I rearrange these. If you buy them locally in season from a farmer's market, this would be, um, you know, you can compare 13 kilograms right now to 0.8, right? Um, Beans you know, half. Uh, red peppers, uh, less than half. You know, mushrooms are the same. Tomatoes, less than You know, so you can see even just by buying locally in season from a farmer's market, you're cutting your carbon emissions in half in terms of your vegetables. Um, and then, again, I didn't do if you grow them yourself because I can't estimate how it would, much it would cost for you to grow them yourself. If you save your own tomato seeds, you reuse, or you just use, like, twine for... Uh, For a trellis, and you use your own compost, uh, you're probably a net negative. Um, Especially, and I'll talk about compost here in a minute. Okay, so. Um, in addition to, you know, not all of us have garden space and I, uh, even at the Garden Expo, people, you know, it's aspirational. I talk to a lot of people like, oh, I'm looking for, I'm moving out of an apartment, I'm about to buy a place with garden, you know, so, so even if we don't have gardens, there's a lot of things you can also do plant and food related um, to cut carbon emissions. So I'll talk about some of these. Um, so one of them, I like to say, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to eat my words when my kid gets a little bigger, don't be so picky. Um, because a lot of produce is thrown away. We've all heard this. Like a third to a half of fresh, you know, produce is wasted. Uh, that's kind of unacceptable, really. Um, in my, if I'm going to be morally judging people and myself, right? I'm part of this too. Um, that's just difficult. Uh, so don't be so picky. Um, when you're going through the supermarket, you can. Um, the unsaleable stuff, a tenth of produce is chucked at the grocery store because it just looks blemished or whatever. Often they'll put it in the, you know, like I know Woodman's, they put a whole bunch of, you know, just about to go off produce out front. And even if you don't have access to a garden to grow a whole bunch of strawberries, I remember when we lived in an apartment, uh, they had like 15 pounds of strawberries out front and I bought them all and I dehydrated them all, you know, because... It's going to be wasted. So by taking it out of that waste stream and then, you know, dehydrating it or making jam, um, I used to go when we lived in St. Louis. I would go to the farmers market at the end of the day. It was Friday through Sunday, and they closed at Sunday at three. So at Sunday at two thirty, I'd go to the grocery, or the farmers market, and I walk around and say. What do you need to get rid of? Because they weren't going to be open until next Friday. So they had vegetables and stuff they knew wasn't going to last until Friday. And they would tell me, like, I got grocery bags just full of peaches for like a buck. You know, like you can get insane deals at the end of farmer's markets when they just need to unload the stuff. My neighbors are a market gardener. And the amount of stuff that they hate to throw away, they, they give it to soup kitchens, they give it to other things. Um... If they, if they can take it, but sometimes they just can't find places for it and it just goes in the compost pile and they hate doing it because they spent all their time growing it. It's just the worst. Um, so yeah, be less picky. Try and get things that are um, unsalable or overripe and, and if you have the capacity to make jams or things, that's a, that's a great way um, to reduce your carbon footprint as well. Um, buying seasonal and local. And oh, so you asked about your fridge. Uh, in the, uh When I lived in Germany, we had a very small fridge, and we go to the grocery store regularly. Um, I don't know if that's better than having a big big fridge and going once, because you have more transportation but less refrigeration. So you might have to do the math on that one, depending on where you live, where you shop. If you can walk to your grocery store, you could probably get by with a real small fridge, um, and that might not be a bad thing. Um, I feel like a, a fridge is like a gas. In, you know, in physics, a gas will expand to fit any anything, any space that it's in, any container that it's in. Well, your refrigerator, I feel, every refrigerator I've ever seen is, uh, food is like that in the refrigerator. You will fill your refrigerator no matter what size it is. So I lobbied hard when we bought our new refrigerator to get the smallest refrigerator my wife would let me. Um, and we deal with a small, we have, uh, you know, I hunt, and we have a full deer, and we just have a normal, like, small, like, refrigerator with the normal freezer on top, and that's it. And so I have to can, and I have to dry, and I have to figure out other ways to preserve this stuff, because that's the choice I've made to do that, um, just to kind of challenge myself. This is my job. This is what I do. Like So I'm like forcing myself to do it and challenging myself to talk about the pros and cons, and I'm doing it to find out the problems so you don't have to. Uh, that's kind of my, what I'm about. Um, and compost, 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 compost. Uh, because, okay, so buy ugly produce, yes. Um, Save leftovers, obviously. Oh man, I lived, oh, my first host family in Germany. I couldn't believe it. We finished a meal and they went to the toilet and threw away the leftovers. I could not believe it. And then I went, so that was in West Germany, my first host family for a month. It was language orientation and I was in cultural orientation. And I was shocked. Then we went to East Germany. I told my East German family and they were like, typical. Because <laughs> um, they were very much of a repair culture, I mean, a different, you know, they had, yeah, there's a lot of interesting stories they had. Um, during, at the end of the Soviet Union, um, something like 50% of vegetables were grown in home. For us, uh, in the U.S., during the Depression and World War II, 40% of produce and fruit was homegrown in, was not purchased. That's not that long ago. I mean, there's, you know, that's a couple of generations ago. We were growing 40% of our own vegetables and fruit uh, because fossil fuels were kind of missing, uh, were, were rationed. So that's a mechanism to do that. So a lot of portions. Okay, sure. Uh, compost. And composting is so important because when you throw food away in your, or food scraps away in your trash and they go to the landfill, they are broken down anaerobically without oxygen and when that happens they produce methane which is 25 times worse for the atmosphere than carbon dioxide so when you compost it and I'm totally guilty of not stirring my you know turning over my compost but if you are uh, turning over your compost as you should um, it gets oxygen in there and it breaks down into carbon dioxide which is actually better for the environment you could also build a biodigester and trap that methane and burn it if you really want to... that's uh, I mean, it's methane or carbon that's going to be produced anyway. You might as well use it to heat something. I mean, that's a stacking idea, right? Um, all right, let's see. Okay, so that's... Doo, 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 yeah, so 20 times. They say 20 times. Other things I've seen say 25 times. So mm. uh, Landfills are the third biggest source of methane. In the U.S., uh, cows are obviously one of the biggest ones. Okay, so that's pretty much where... The formal part talks, or the formal part of the talk ends, but we're we have some time, so I'd love to field questions and answer them the best I can with the stats I have, or with you know the systemic sort of thinking I'm trying to, to get across, which is the main thing. I don't expect any There will be a test before you go um, to see how many of the kilos and the grams and the things you guys remember from tomatoes and potatoes. But that's uh, that's unimportant. It's thinking systemically about your carbon emissions in your food. Yeah?
1: Can you talk about the uh, difference in the carbon footprint between
0: organic and non-organic? So, um, Yes, uh, not with stats off the top of my head, unfortunately, but syst- systematically or generally, I can say you could you could farm uh, industrially or non-organically in a more carbon-friendly way uh, if you put your mind to it uh, than organically or vice versa. So it, it really depends on. Uh, the, the emissions from you know the the processing, what it is, and the transportation. The transportation is a big one. So you know you have, or let's say we have a really great organic asparagus farm in Peru, right now, and you're eating you know Peruvian asparagus. Well, it's carbon carbon wise, it's way better to buy non organic uh, asparagus here in the summer. So it, it really depends on the transportation, the growing method. So. I mean, these are all—it's a multivariate problem, right? I think we, as a society, uh, really like the straw that breaks the camel's back, but we don't look at all the other you know, hay bales on top of the camel. Uh, so we like to say, just do this one thing, and we're going to save the planet. But it's not that simple because there's a billion things to consider, and this multivariate analysis is not something that we're very good at. I think mentally, I think we need statistical programs to do that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you have to weigh what's what's more important to you on that. But you know, you can get organically grown and carbon low, you know, so if you're buying organically grown farmer market asparagus here in the summer, you're going to be carbon low and uh, and organic, so yeah, best of both worlds and you can help it. Yeah.
1: I recently started a new job. Um, there are other things I could have done, but I needed a full-time job and I wanted it to be connected with Woodman's, so mm-hmm. I got a job, actually I'm glad you mentioned Woodman's, um, <laughs> that's where I'm employed as a so. bagger, that's their entry level position. I thought, well, I'll see if I can stick this out. Well, is it tiresome? Yes, it's tiresome. But it's also very instructive because mm-hmm. I get to see like I'm bagging for the people who don't go through the self checkout line. And some of those people are heroic, but people come through our lines, like huge piles of stuff. Mm-hmm. Probably not representative of what everybody buys at the supermarket. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you listen a little bit long? That's okay. I really think like to say thank you. Sure. Um bath. So there's three kinds of bags, uh-huh. we offer the choice, yeah. one paper or plastic, and then you can see when people have brought their own bags, which is obviously the best in terms of environmentally, it's not the can. bagger's favorite because there's different bags, and yeah. sometimes they stink, and sure. they go, okay, like I'll do yeah. Paper bags, I had no idea. They are so miserable to work with. Customer after customer. Mm. They suck the moisture out of your skin. Then when, yeah. the moisture, when your skin doesn't have the moisture in it, then it gets these little cuts, you get paper cuts, you get split, you know, your by your nails you get splits. And after like five people in a row come and say, paper. I want paper. I am just so exasperated that you and of course I yep. asked yep. for yep. paper yep. myself. So I'm getting to, yep. like, plastic bags are so much easier You can put multiple lines in them, multiple things, different shapes, you can tie them up. Um, the paper bags are exasperating. So I, my question, I guess mm. I have two questions, is, well, well, I have to start with the first one. I hear these people, they sound very sanctimonious when they say paper. And I understand why, because I was the same way. But then I look at what they're buying, yeah. like little drinks and tiny containers, and yeah. the plastic is uh, made in them. The whole yes. thing is coming yeah. in the plastic. And I'm supposed to put that in so, the packaging. So you see where so I'm yeah, going? So, so it's, is this reasonable right. for me to feel like, why do we, you have not done yeah, so it? Like how to get the word out? It's, it's hard not it's to look. But the will listen to me. So,
0: OK, so the question to repeat for the back, uh, I'll summarize. <laughs> uh, basically, uh, so uh, this attendee works as a as a, as a bagger right now at Woodman's and sees people buying and asking for paper, probably thinking it's the more environmentally friendly choice, and then putting all this plastic yeah stuff in it. Well, so I can talk a little bit about bags real shortly about car because this is part of food, right? Like how you bag your food matters, and also all the package. So to some extent, I think you should um be a little forgiving for people when they buy stuff in packaging because sometimes we don't have a choice what the companies are packaging all this stuff in. And they like, yeah. you've seen, I've seen like apples wrapped in packaging. I'm like, why don't you wrap an up? But you know what I mean? Like, so sometimes you gotta, but yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you. I, I refuse to look at my neighbors when I'm shopping anymore because I just can't. So, um, but uh, yes, if you get a plastic bag and reuse it, It's better than getting a paper bag. Even if you get a, and so if I remember correctly, even if you get a plastic bag and only reuse it like once, it's better than a paper bag. Paper bags are pretty carbon intensive because it's a tree, it's a transport, it's heavy, it's, um, but if you reuse the paper bag a few times, it gets a little better, but for the most, how many people come back with paper bags to reuse them? Uh, It
1: has happened, but it's
0: rare. Right, so, and uh, the bring-along bags, are great if you reuse them, and wash them also, because they can hybrid, I've seen a lot of nods, you all know, you all carry your own bags, right, okay, so, but yeah, wash them, um, but, you know, sometimes you get, here, I'm sure you can get totes, actually, I saw a couple places, the dog guard people are giving away tote bags, right, but if you get one of those, you bring it home, and you're like, I don't want this one, you throw it away, that's way worse than using plastic bags every time, you know, so, you know, so, reuse them and then they are more carbon neutral. Um, uh, again, packaging also would be part, a thing.
1: The other part of my question is it's one thing to talk about a tomato versus an apple versus lettuce or right. asparagus even, but it seems to me that once you get to like cereal, which is so light a mm-hmm. for its volume, but you've got little nutrition in it, yeah.
0: but it w- is in a package and people buy it provides, you know. Yeah, the yeah. Like yeah. You're at
1: whole bubbles, right. right.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Packaging. So, because with vegetables, there's usually less packaging, although if yeah. not the case, especially at uh, big box stores where they want the convenience of quickly scanning it. Yeah. I think a lot of the packaging is just for scanning quick quickness, rather than having to like, what's the code for bananas? And da, 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 da. Yeah. they all know code for bananas. Everyone knows that 4011. Uh, so uh, self checkout. Anyway. Um, yeah. Are there other questions or comments? I
1: was
0: Lesser the food is, in general going to be better. Seems, seems like that's a pretty good a good trend. If you can recognize, yeah, I mean, just above and beyond carbon emissions, yeah, if you can recognize everything on the ingredients list, you're probably better off than if you can't. You know, just generally, if you can recognize the food. But yeah, uh, yeah. If, if you have a choice between two different types of packaging for, um, or packaging or no packaging, obviously that's going to be an immediate carbon savings because it's going to be plastic. Um, even the reusable, you know, strawberry containers. Who returns those? Yeah. Are there other, other questions, comments, concerns? All right. We're a little early, but that's okay because we'll give the next person some time to set up. So, thank you, guys. Oh, actually, this is something I forgot. If you guys are, will indulge me for a minute? I have something that might be actually really interesting to you, hopefully. Um, I, so my low tech, whoa, I'm sorry about that, stop. Hope nobody has. Uh, so uh, I work at the Low Technology Institute and we think about fossil fuels all the time. So what we're doing this year is uh, cutting fossil fuels out of our food completely as a study. So we're basically simulating what if fossil fuels disappeared, how would we feed ourselves? Um, and so starting now and through September, we are going to. Sm- lessen the circle from where we can get our food until September when it is just human powered transport harvest and processing from where we live. Um, And then we are going to see how long into the winter we can go. Um, And so we're going to record our inputs our labor, uh, what we buy, what we don't, um, and basically how we're doing it. Record all of the data. So that'll be like an anecdotal research project. It's only a sample of one, so it's not statistically significant. But the point is to ferret out problems that you wouldn't foresee. I'm sure many many people in this room maybe have thought about it. If I could disappear, what would I do? right. Grow potatoes. Okay, great. But what else? Um, you know, like reusable canning lids. How do you get reusable canning lids? You can't buy them. Uh, Cooking oil. I haven't figured out cooking oil yet. That's going to be a problem. So things like this, when you actually sit down to think about it, to try to do it, you're going to ferret out these problems and find more weak points. Um, And we live in a suburban-sized lot, so this would be applicable to anyone living in the suburbs. That sort of thing. And then to make it more human friendly, because who's going to read a dry article about the statistics of labor intensity of growing potatoes versus calorie output? (laughs) Um, We are putting a a dramatized documentary series on top of it to report our data in a narrative fashion. And so every Friday, we're going to have a webisode come out on YouTube that talks about what we've done this week um, and how we've been surviving without fossil fuels. And uh, you can go to, if you go to YouTube and type in food Foodmageddon, you can follow along. And uh, it's one way to look at uh, what's carbon intensive. You'll know real quick because we won't have it. Um, This is a trailer. Thanks for listening to this Low Tech Lecture. Find out more by visiting our website, lowtechinstitute.wordpress.com. There you'll find the Low Tech Podcast, our blog, our event calendar, and other things going on around the Institute. You can subscribe to this lecture or our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and many other podcasting apps. The background music is Rachmaninoff's Piano Concerto No. 2 in C minor and is in the public domain. This podcast is under the Creative Commons Attribution and Share Like License, meaning you're free to use and share it as long as you provide credit.